0: Hey, what's going on, Chams? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show. And thank you for supporting my dad.
1: Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. Before anything else, I'd like to share to you something personal. A few weeks ago, I fell very ill. You see, I suffer from vertigo. If you don't know what that is, you can Google the medical definition of it. But for me, I describe it as, it's like being a hangover, even though you didn't drink. I was down for almost a week. I couldn't barely stand and sit up. But I knew I had to prepare the episode to release so, I pulled up my big boy pants and prepared the episode. I couldn't allow myself to break my streak of releasing an episode every week, and I couldn't allow myself to let you down and at having a new episode to listen to. I'm saying all this because I want to thank you for inspiring me and challenging me to produce this great episode every week. So, in short, I want to say thank you, and I'm grateful to you. I also want to thank all those listeners who have given the podcast a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I love seeing the numbers grow slowly, so thank you for that. And if you haven't done so, please go ahead and do so, as it will allow us to be featured on those platforms more and more. And we'll be able to reach more listeners. Of course, you can reach me through all the social media. My handle is at You can also email me at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. If you want to come on the podcast or if you know someone that wants to be a guest on the podcast, or if you just want to talk, hit me up. I'm available for you. You still with me? All right. Now, let's talk about the episode. I am grateful that I had the opportunity to have a conversation with this incredible poet. We talk about his murky past, his redemption, and his art. This episode is a must listen, so let's not waste more time. So, without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa at Tatlo. Today's guest is an author, a poet, and a motivational speaker. He'll light up your mood with his smile and then lighten your life with his poetry lines. Everyone, please welcome Svens Telemach.
2: Thanks, Emil, for having me, Aaron. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, brother. How you doing?
2: I'm blessed, man. I love to see the image in the back.
1: Of course, man. You got to represent. <laughs> I, I like doing it for the guest. Every guest, wherever they come from, I try to, you know, change my background, make them feel home. Sometimes people get, sometimes they just go through it. Like, they don't <laughs> even notice, you know? And I appreciate when the guests notice.
2: That's what's
1: up. Yeah. Again, I can't say it enough. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh,
1: why don't you tell the immigrant nation where they can reach you or whatever?
2: Uh, everything is the same. Basically, it's underscore Telemac, Svens underscore Telemac, S V E N S underscore T E L E M A Q U E. Or you could just Google Svens Telemac and find me for sure. Hmm. Is that a short for something, Svens? No. That's the name. That's not- well, I mean, it's a Swedish name. Hmm. It's a Swedish name, uh, Sven, like Sven in Frozen, or like a it's like a Scandinavian, Norwegian type of thing. But my dad gave me that name. Why? Where did he get it from? He saw a movie. He was watching a movie. Okay, okay. And when he was watching a movie, at the end there were the credits, and when he saw the credits, he just. Uh, He just um, added an S to it because at that time, all of his children had a name that
1: started with an S. Mm, Okay, that's cool. You know, it's funny, you mentioned it's Sweden. Uh, One of my first ever guests, she went to Sweden to live for Sweden for a bit. And Mm. she said she was there for, I think, like almost a year. And she never met anyone named Sven.
2: You serious? Yeah. (laughs) That's
1: crazy. Yeah, that's funny. House vacation. I know you were out for a bit.
2: Oh man, loved it, man. I was in the Ivory Coast.
0: Mm.
2: The Got to see some different uh, places, meet de- different people, you know, introduced to a new culture, and uh, was able to kiss the ground with my feet, man. I loved it. Mm. Why did you go to Ivory Coast specifically? At first, it was supposed to, to be to attend a conference. But uh, unfortunately, I, I received my visa too late, Oh. so I wasn't able to make the conference. So I turned it into a vacation and uh, just had a good time.
1: That's amazing. I mean, that's home, right? Oh, yes. Everyone's home, really.
2: Yeah. Go back to the motherland is something I feel like everybody should do. Someday. I've been, uh, I had
1: a friend that lived in Kenya, which she's planning to come back to, and she's like, yo, you got to visit me, man. <laughs> like of course someday
2: yeah
1: you know let's get into it with you you were born in montreal but then you moved to miami florida why did you move
2: uh my parents are divorced
1: mm. so uh,
2: they moved uh well my mom moved when i was a baby okay oh so
1: your dad was originally from montreal or my mom and dad are originally from haiti
2: okay they, uh, you know, they got married and they moved to Montreal. My mom was here first.
1: Mm-hmm. She
2: came here when she was 17. And uh, my father came uh, a couple of years later after they got married. Okay. So
1: why did mom move you to Miami, Florida specifically?
2: Had more family. We okay. had much more family and much more support. Uh, I imagine a divorce. She wanted to be farther away, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, and, for sure.
2: That's how that went.
1: But... When you moved, did you keep in touch with your dad?
2: Not really. Better yet, my dad didn't really keep in touch with me <laughs> during that time during that time. How's your relationship with him now? Oh, we're good friends. Yeah. Life is too short to focus on the small stuff.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I love mm-hmm. that. It's been well documented that you were living a life of crime when you were living in Florida. Oh, I yeah. Having said that. How was your relationship with your mom during those times?
2: Very stressful, very depressing for my mom, uh, very challenging for both of us. But there was just such a big disconnect because uh, my my heart was hardened. You know, you get what I mean? My heart just, Mm. I was so egoistic. I wasn't really caring how my mom felt or how. My family members thought I was only thinking about myself. I was egoistic.
1: Hmm, definitely. I mean, you're a young child, you know. Did did anyone, like an older gentleman, try to talk to you and say, hey, dude, you need to get your stuff together?
2: Several. I've had people that were, you know, committing crime telling me like, yo, you're too smart. You shouldn't do it. But I I just I just got pulled in and I tell people all the time it's because of the The ego And the ego for me is when you value yourself based on what you have, what you do, and what people think about you.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And this is something that I feel like uh, we all have to be very careful about.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Definitely. Yeah, when you value yourself in those three ways, you just get swayed. You get swayed. You get swayed to do, um, you know, you get swayed to hide behind things so you can get value. Mm -hmm. But then again, you were a young
1: child, you know?
2: Yeah, but even to you know, even adults, people can be very grown and they're still caught up in their ego.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. we see
2: it with adults with hiding behind, uh, when, when I said what you have, hiding behind brands, hiding behind cars and what you do, people hiding behind titles, degrees, and stuff like that, status. And last but not least, what people think about them when we look at social media, a lot of people are caught up. Mm. And it's to, to, to understand that that your value doesn't come from your followers, doesn't come from what people think about you. Because all of these things can change. Huh?
0: Mm-hmm. It
2: takes a moment for people to find something in you to, to bring you down.
1: Definitely. It's a, such a dangerous swirl of like you get into a group that values, I don't know, a, a beautiful car or whatever. You get into that and that's it. You'll be, you know, in the loop.
2: There you go. And that cancel culture is is very powerful right now. So you just have to tread lightly, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. You believe in cancel culture?
2: No, I don't believe in cancel culture. I do believe in um, characters more important than anything else because your talent will get you in the room, but your character will keep you there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the only positive thing with cancel culture is... For example, someone like R. Kelly, you get what I mean? Like, mm. it it allows people to, but because the masses are all connected on, on different platforms, mm. they're, they're able to, um, you know, correct certain things and to address certain things that they never would be able to before.
1: Mm, for sure. I love that you mentioned R. Kelly. Obviously, one of the greatest artists of all time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately... He's a monster. Should we stop listening to his music? Should we vanish the music or how do how do you think we should approach that?
2: I mean, in my personal opinion, I feel like uh, I feel like it's a case by case. I think it depends on the person. Some people cannot disassociate the artist with hmm. the art, and if you can't disassociate the music when you hear it, you just think about that person committing crimes and doing all of this evil stuff so i feel like it depends on the person some people can listen to the music like for example i believe i can fly
0: Hmm.
2: and just think about the song the lyrics and completely disassociate with um the singer so i feel like it's a case by case type of thing well said you
1: as an artist do you thread lightly because of the cancel culture or as an artist you are a free soul you create what's come from your heart
2: I create what comes from my heart. Mm-hmm. And I, to be quite honest with you, I can't produce nothing. I mean, I could just come up with a poem, you get what I mean, and just say whatever. Some people might be like, wow, but if, if it doesn't come from this, you know, same thing with speaking. You know, when I speak, like, I could talk about anything, but if my heart is not in it, it's it doesn't impact as much.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. It's very derivative.
2: hmm Speaking of writing,
1: when, by the way, your poetry is amazing. I wish I could write the same way. I try to write poetry as well, but, you know, it's not Vince quality, you know what I mean? But does it come to you or do you have like a routine? You sit down and you you tell yourself, I'm going to write today.
2: It comes to me.
0: Hmm.
2: It comes to me. I feel like... Um, I wrote this a while ago. I felt like art possesses you until you possess it. I just, that's how I feel with, with me. Like you might say something and then all of a sudden, boom, I just get an image. I see a metaphor
0: hmm.
2: and then boom, That that's how poetry comes to me. It's the metaphors that the, the, the metaphors, the correlations between different things. And like, I'll give you an example, like, and I like to write out of very strong emotions like anger, frustration, sadness, um, guilt, shame. Mm-hmm. I like writing from places like that because I'm a very self-reflecting type of person, you know what I mean? And I love to be transparent. And um, I'll give you an example. For example, the, the poem, If Haitian Blood Were Oil. I wrote this poem uh, at work at a call center I started writing this poem because I was so angry and I, I couldn't find a place to deposit my anger. You get me like, and when, when you look at the citadel that is behind you, which is the largest military fortress in all of the Americas, you get what I mean? Like hmm. it, it, it really hit me when I saw that earthquake go down, when I saw the way the United States responded to it, I did my research on it and I was just so angry it, it led me to a question like, yo, if Haitian blood were oil. And when I had that metaphor, it was easy for me to write now and for me to direct everything that's inside me. For me, I feel like uh, poetry and writing is like, it's like having a knife in your chest, you know, and that knife is a pen and, um, you know, a notebook, like this notebook here. You take you know when you take a knife and you put it between like a a paper towel and you wipe it clean mm-hmm. so like the knife is like a pen and the notebook is like a paper towel that you wipe all the ink out of it and there you go you have your you have your um your thingy
1: that's beautiful man mm-hmm. do you still write with the pen or do you type in it now i do both okay that's good.
2: Both. It, it all it all depends. It all depends on how it possesses me. Huh? Sometimes it possesses me, and like I need to feel my hand scrape the paper, you know. And sometimes it's like I have my phone. Sometimes I don't even write. I just pull out my my uh, my phone and I just record it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do the same thing. I exactly do the same thing, mm-hmm. but I prefer typing now because I'm lazy and it it's, <laughs> it takes so much time to write. Mm-hmm. but obviously as you know as people that creates or write it's not magic yes once in a while there's there are poems that comes with you and it's like ready you don't have to do anything and mm-hmm. then there are some that it's just a line and you have to work at it right yeah so like but that's the best one when it comes like fully because i'm lazy again you know but i like what you said about art that you know it will encompass you like i'm i don't know if you agree but when an idea comes in of a poem or a story or whatever, as in, for the lack of a better word, I'm going to call myself an artist, it burns inside you. And that's the only way to get rid of it is to write it down.
2: But you see, you know, I would say one thing. I would say you are an artist, man. Thank and you. Uh, I would say that everybody's art is different. Some people will never be able to understand it or hmm. appreciate it. But... uh you know, it's like you just gotta be different. You gotta embrace those differences and just be true to that voice on the inside of you, man. Art is like a prism. You know how that that light might come 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 out and then blue, red, orange, whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And everyone is like a, a different facet of a diamond. You know, when that light hits,
0: mm-hmm.
2: when it comes out through you, Aaron, it's gonna come out in a completely different way. Just mm-hmm. like a million people have podcasts, right? But yours is focused on. Something so specific that some people would never even
1: think of. Mm, thank you, I appreciate. It.
2: But uh, yes, I mean,
1: I just don't call myself an artist. I do create art. I do. <laughs> I know that. Like mm-hmm. this podcast, I approach it as art. When mm-hmm. I post something on on the podcast Instagram account, those are art for me. I don't mm-hmm. just tread it lightly. That I'll just post your picture and that's it. I mm-hmm. want it like very specific. Like like you said, it has the Aaron's touch. Mm-hmm let's go back a little bit with your life when mm-hmm. the all those tumultuous times was happening did you resent your mother
2: Ah, uh, not at all not at all i mean um not at all there was no reason to resent her there was no reason to resent her i mean she was there for me she tried to get me to um you know be positive she tried to pour into me she tried to steer me in the right direction she provided for me so Hmm. no reason to resent her at all
1: Hmm. that's good you seems to be an intelligent person but during those time were you good in school
2: uh i didn't try (laughs) i didn't try what i what i did was i did what i had to do to um get by so i really didn't try at school Mm -hmm. I managed to get all the I even went to a special high school a special arts high school and everything but I never really put the effort Mm
0: -hmm.
2: so I was like always coasting I was always on the average uh, and I dropped out my last year my senior year in the month of June I dropped out Mm -hmm. because I was focused on money so if I would have applied myself I would have been a a, a better student for sure
1: oh definitely I mean You're a very intelligent man.
2: But then you decided to change your life.
1: What was the tipping point?
2: Um, There were several things happening at the same time. And and, um, I felt like when you're living a life of crime and you really make that decision, you're not really uh, shaken up by things that shake up ordinary people. Like, for example, I've almost died several times. I've had people pull out guns. I've had people try to kill me. I've had people uh, hit me with a car. I've had people jump me. I've had people uh, pull out a machete on me. I've, You know, I've been in and out of court since the age of 15. Um, I've been arrested several times. I've been threatened with deportation, um, almost kidnapped. Like all of those situations didn't scare me straight because you expect those things. Hmm you expect those type of things to happen to you. You lose friends, friends get deported, um, because we were all immigrants, right? I didn't have my papers in the States as well. Um, you expect it. What you don't expect is really what shakes you up a little bit more. One of the things that really shook me up was, uh, when I was selling drugs and during that time I was, uh, I was making a lot of money for someone that was 17 18 years old i used to make like ten thousand dollars a week a week uh, yeah, selling crack <laughs> yeah selling crack cocaine with my partner in crime who's deported now in haiti since 2006 mm. and um i mean you know the money just just got me and there was nothing that you could do to convince me otherwise and Eventually, what happens is uh, one day I'm selling drugs, right? And a woman approaches me and she doesn't have any money, but she wants to get high. What do you think she offers me? I don't know. Do you know? Take a guess.
1: I I don't know. Well,
2: normally, you know, they might try to offer you sexual favors or something Mm. like that so they can get high but she approached me with her eight-year-old son. So one, I'm angry because she doesn't have money and she wants to get high. And two, she's bringing her eight-year-old son to like, where, where, where I'm selling dope. It's just, I'm annoyed. Hmm. She pulls out a plastic bag and she tries to give me his PlayStation. Ooh. And when she does that, it hit me in my chest and finally the gold teeth in my mouth, the the facade that I had, the car that I was driving, the money in my pocket, the reputation that I had, my ego just was crushed because it didn't matter anymore. I saw the impact of my my decisions in front of me.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
2: this this dude's mom is a zombie. He's crying because even if I don't take the PlayStation, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. And his mom is gone. He has no more mother. So, you know, me, I'm praying off the weakness of somebody else. And that just made me feel... um, Worthless? Exactly.
1: Yeah. But did you sell the drugs anyway?
2: No. Yeah, I wasn't able to do it. I wasn't able to do it. But at the same time, it broke me. It got me to really think about what was my role in my community at the moment. Mm. What was I doing? How how does that um impact me?
1: That's beautiful.
2: It made me think
1: of the line by the great Leonard Cohen hmm. that there's always a crack on everything. That's how the light goes through. Wow. Yeah.
2: That's deep. I, I've never heard that before.
1: The great Leonard Cohen. This, from Montreal. It's the best.
2: Wow. There's always a crack in everything and that's how the light goes through. Wow.
1: Yeah. I, I love that. Like, I love that story that you told me. And just, yeah. it just easily, it's eroding. Now your ego's slowly eroding mm-hmm. and you're finally seeing the light and seeing this is not the way. Exactly. And then when you finally saw the light, what decision did you take i know you moved back to montreal is that instantaneous or
2: no before i moved to montreal i stopped selling drugs hmm. I started selling shoes clothes perfume i started selling cars at the auction anything that i could do that was legit that could help me uh provide for myself i did
0: mm-hmm.
2: i did that for a while and then eventually the people, in, the people around me didn't felt, feel like I changed and I almost died in a robbery. Mm. So I realized that, you know what, I changed, but my environment is the same. So I decided to move to Montreal and start from scratch.
0: Mm.
1: In those moments of challenges, being, you know, almost dying because of robbery, was there a moment that you said,
2: "Ah, oh, forget about going straight, let me just sell drugs again? No, I never turned back.
0: Mm.
2: Never turn back. I've been. I've been offered. Never turn back.
1: What makes you decide that? Like I'm gonna continue going the right path?
2: Because I, I. I know for a fact. I know for a fact that. Um, number one, I knew for a fact that if I continued down. Um, I knew for a fact that if I would have made that decision, I knew I was gonna go down a road towards death, and I know that. Um, the difficulty it takes, um, the difficulty it takes for someone to change when they're so advanced in a, in, in, in a lifestyle like that, it's not easy.
0: Hmm. It's
2: very, very difficult. So for me to, to make that change and then to change again, this doesn't make sense for me because after making that change, I didn't see money the same way. Hmm. I didn't have the same relationship with money before my relationship with money was one that was very toxic where money was more valuable to me than people. Mm-hmm. Now I don't see it like that. I see it as people are more valuable than money. Amen. You get what I mean? So and I, money doesn't do it for me anymore. You could, I mean, someone could come at me with whatever money that you want. You can't, you can't entice me with money.
1: If you have the power to change your past, would you have changed it?
2: No, I wouldn't change my past. I would change more. um, I would change more like when it comes to my past, I would change more. um, Just, I feel like right now in this stage in my life, um, it's more a question of, it's more a question of, you know, changing the mistakes that, that I know. You, I feel like we all have wisdom. We all have understanding. And sometimes we don't live our lives according to uh, that wisdom and understanding. If there's anything that I would change, I would change those those decisions that I've made that were not according to the wisdom that I have. Hmm. You know, apart from that, when it comes to like everything before me being enlightened by God, me being enlightened, enlightened by the word, it wouldn't change anything because this is, this is what produced the man that is here, you know?
1: For
0: mm-hmm. sure.
1: When did poetry came into your life? When did you learn like, Oh, I have the gift.
2: Um, I think the very first time um, was probably elementary school, Miami Shores elementary school. We had a competition hmm. and the competition was uh, you had to write an essay As to why you should be selected to go to the Everglades, like to go camping, and all of the expenses were paid. And you know, I wanted to go, right? So I wrote a letter and uh I wrote an essay. And out of everyone in the school, I think they chose like maybe five people.
0: Hmm.
2: And I was one of the people chosen. And uh moving forward in life, I was always writing rap. I was always rapping, rapping is poetry, music is poetry, and I just kept writing all the time. Hmm. And um, the more I kept writing, the more I felt good. The more I felt, you know, I felt, I f- I felt good. You know, releasing, releasing myself and my writing, I just felt powerful.
1: So you were rapping. Why did you not continue rapping? Why did you decide to do spoken words instead?
2: Um, I went from rap to spoken word because of stage fright. I had stage fright when I started doing shows with a friend of mine and um, I was like, you know what, let me build my stage presence with spoken word. I started doing spoken word and I uh, encountered a very powerful poet by, by the name of Will the Real One, who was actually murdered at his uh, poetry location, but um, he was uh, a very big influence for me. And um, after seeing him command so much attention and presence the way that he spoke and and all of that i was like you know what i definitely want to be able to have that same gift and coming to montreal i rapped a bit but after a while i was just like was disconnected with the idea of um of rap every now and then i juggle with the idea of like you know what maybe i should do something because my musical ear is still there you get what i mean i still see different things and i'm like ooh. This would be powerful, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm not really enticed. What I love about spoken word is the fact that there's no music, so people care, people pay more attention to the message. I feel like in rap, people get lost in the beat. And I like when people just listen to the words.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's more powerful. It's like it, it engages you more. Mm-hmm. But where you have been offered to ghostwrite for someone...
2: Oh uh, yeah, ghostwriting in different ways. Different ways. Uh, me, I love that. Mm. I love writing. So me, I love. I just love the idea of doing. I just did something. I I did a manifesto for an organization called Desta.
1: Mhm. I saw that. That was beautiful.
2: And I did i uh, I've also did a poem for an album that just got released called Maison de l'Evite. Mhm. So I love doing that type of stuff.
1: That's that's awesome. That's all about your book, Pen of Ready Writer, a compilation of poetry, thoughts, and ideas. I mean, I love this title. I haven't read the book, but I know it's been reviewed well. Where did you come up with the title?
2: The title came from Psalm 45 in the Bible. Mm. There's a a psalm that says, My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And uh, during the early stages of me as a spoken word artist, I used to go by the name of Psalm 45. I like that. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want any attention to go towards my name. So I used Psalm 45 until people just kept saying my name. So I was like, okay, whatever. But um, in Psalm 45, it talks about, it talks about that. It says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So I just took the title and went with the flow.
1: Nice. What well, what's the theme of the book? What's special about this book when if anyone wants to grab the, a copy and read it?
2: Self-reflection. It's uh it's me self-reflecting, it's me talking about uh everything. I talk about perseverance, I talk about frustration, I talk about success, I talk about fear, doubt, procrastination. I talk about so many different uh aspects of life. You know, there's uh uh there's 17 no there's seven 15 poems two essays and um yeah i just go from so many different directions and i find it very powerful
1: mm-hmm. that's amazing
2: did i know you
1: were you were trying to do a tour around uh was it before the pandemic or during the pandemic am i correct
2: well, I've, I've been doing tours since about 2016, different mm-hmm. places. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, because of the pandemic, I kind of had to press pause on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: How did you approach the pandemic? Um, my approach with the pandemic was pretty much laid back. Just go with the flow. You can't do anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Don't agree with every single thing that went down, but just go with the flow. What can you do?
1: I love that. And more time for self-reflection.
2: More time for self-reflection. Realizing just how um, much power we have and we don't have by mm. ourselves, and how we have so much more power uh, together.
1: Definitely. Did you write more?
2: Uh, I did write a bit. I was working. I was working on my book. I'm still working on my next book right now, which is called Broken Crayons to Color. Mhm. Right now, I'm on chapter six. I got two more chapters left. Or two and a half chapters and it's a done deal.
1: Wow Is it hard to write a book?
2: Very. It requires a lot of discipline, a lot of discipline, a lot of self-reflection and it's and, and it's it's different from writing poetry right because poetry you can you can write poetry and not really care if people get it or not. <laughs> yes because it's artistic but when it comes to a book, you have to really speak in such a way that's so descriptive and clear that people can understand what you're trying to say.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And in communication is so lost to, to get confused between what you're trying to say, what you're saying, what people hear, you understand, what people understand. Like It takes a lot. I have a lot of, I have so much more respect for people who really uh, have dedicated themselves to writing because it takes a, you have to harness a lot of skills. I've been writing this book since 2016. Wow. I've been rewriting this book over and over again.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I understand
2: this. This is, I've
1: said this enough, but I'm going to say it again. Anyway, this
2: um,
1: podcast was actually came from the idea of me writing a book.
2: Really? Yeah.
1: It's a, It was a col- short story collection of immigrants based on real immigrant stories. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm going to collect, I think, 13 or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I'm going to collect them and publish them as a book. And I'm going to entitle it An Immigrant's Life,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where I got the title of the podcast from. Life happened. I'm still working on it. It takes time, as you know. <laughs>
2: So, Seb, if you need some help, let me know. I coach people on, on publishing books. Hmm. If you need some help, let me know.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll I'll keep that in mind because when I get back to writing, because lately I've been, uh, I've been lazy lately with the writing. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes the gods just decide, you know what, I'm giving you one today. And you're <laughs> just watching TV and, oh,
2: I need to go. I hear you, man, 100%. Trust me, I'm there with you.
1: You know, like recently, uh, like, what was that? Like a month or two months ago, I was just watching TV with the family and I just had to get up and my wife's like, where are you going? I said, I have to write. I'm like, why? (laughs) because I have to. I don't know, but I have to.
2: I hate you 100%.
1: You know, so how's your process writing? Because Stephen King said on his book on writing, he approached it like it's work. You go wherever you need to go, wherever you like writing. Every day, same time, and you tell yourself, I'm going to write today for, let's say, an hour or whatever. Do you do, do, you do the same thing or you're free flow? Sometimes.
2: Sometimes. When I'm very disciplined, at one point I had a concept, which was just I wake up and I write. Mm. First thing I do. My laptop is next to me. I'm not answering my phone. I'm not looking at my phone. Wake up, write. And the minute that I do that, already I feel like I accomplished everything I needed to do with the day
0: hmm.
2: That's when I'm disciplined. But then I realize that sometimes I'd be too sleepy. Mm. So what I try to do is the first thing is go to the gym to get my body awake and then go towards. Um, go towards, uh, you know, everything else that I have to do, but I got to get back into my flow.
1: Mm-hmm. It's yeah. hard to get back. What I used to do when I was writing An In- Immigrant's In- Life was morning I'll write, and then and then at night I edit.
2: Oh, that's nice.
1: So I just continue doing that. And as you know, it's a lot of work.
2: It is. But it's, it's very rewarding, right? It's a question of, of discipline, patience.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Definitely.
1: Writer's block. Do you suffer from it? Sometimes. Oh, yeah.
2: For sure. Everyone does.
0: hmm
1: I love who who said that? I forgot. I think it was um I think it was Sting from the police, you know, the, the bands he said <laughs> that doesn't exist. The best way is just write.
2: <laughs> I mean, you could easily write, but are you writing from the same place? That's the thing for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We can we can easily write out of talent. We can write out of talent, but is that gonna get us anywhere?
0: Mm-hmm. I can write from my
2: talent. I can tell you, "Roses are red, violets are blue." I'm looking at the sky. I look at the hues. Hues,
0: mm-hmm.
2: blah blah blah. But am I really writing from here? No, that's just talent. So Sting is right. But I think that uh, what people mean is like when that meaningful, deep, rich, when you feel connected with your, with your gift. That writing sometimes is just you can't tap into it. So you got to find a way to. Um, you gotta find a way to, to 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 get it to come out. You know, you gotta put yourself in the right environment, listen to the right music. Me, I me, I call it like making an inc- incision. You know, when that doctor takes a scalpel and they cut you. For me, it's like sometimes I use instrumentals to make an incision to make me feel. If I'm trying to write something that makes me sad, I listen to an instrumental that makes me sad. I listen to something that. It speaks to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So you listen to jazz or things like that? Uh, or?
2: Jazz too busy. I listen more to like maybe movie scores. Mm, okay. Maybe In a Sentimental Mood by Duke Ellington. Hell yeah, man. That, that, that can get me to come out with some stuff. But for the most part, that's how I play my hand.
1: Mine is uh, My Favorite Things. My Favorite Things by who? What's his name? I'm terrible with names. The guy is fat.
2: Fat Domino.
1: John Coltrane. How How would I? How can I forget?
2: Okay, I got you.
1: John Coltrane. That's my. That's my thing. Or sometimes uh, some Miles Davis.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, but not the crazy Miles Davis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I like that you said that you can write anytime you want if you if because you have enough talent. Because sometimes I'll write something, and I'm like, what is this? Like, this is not
2: good. It's just your talent. It's like, okay, I made some words rhyme, but there's no feeling there.
1: Yeah. I remember in college, uh, one of my professors says, oh, you guys have to write a poem. And I said, okay, that's easy. Like, I can write a poem. Like, right now, I could say it, you know, I could do it. So I did it. And I saw my classmates, like, struggling to write. And I said, dude, it's just words. Put them together, you know, for me obviously. And that's when I realized, oh, not everyone can write poetry.
2: It causes self-reflection. A lot of people don't take the time to slow down.
1: Yeah, you're right. Let's go back to your book, Broken Crane Steel Caller." I'm excited about this. Where did you get the idea, the line from? Because it's such a powerful line.
2: Yeah, that quote, I saw that quote on Facebook like in 2015. Mm. One of my friends shared the status and when I saw it, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. What does that mean to you? It just means that no matter what you go through, you're able to do great things. Nothing can disqualify you from greatness.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Sometimes what we do when we have a past that's jaded, uh, present, whatever, like we make mistakes. Sometimes we feel like society tells us that we can't be great.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Statistics tell us that, you know what, like the chances of you succeeding or being different is very low Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like just because the crown is broken doesn't mean it can't color even if you were to take that crown and crush it and we would have flakes it could still color so it just shows me just how limitless our potential is you know Mm -hmm. to do great things
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that's beautiful you said you're a public speaker correct yes do you when you get Uh, What do you talk about to them specifically?
2: It depends. It depends on what they want me to do. Sometimes I talk about black history. Sometimes I talk about um, well-being. I touch well-being, black history. I talk about uh, personal development. I talk about entrepreneurship, legal rights. It really varies as to what they want. Uh, One thing that I don't do is go into a school and just be like, hey, I used to be a drug dealer. I changed my life. Look at me. no. I don't believe in that. My goal is to get them to talk, get them to express themselves and to make connections and let them know, listen, like I made these mistakes because of issues with my ego. You may not have uh, a risk of becoming a criminal, but you definitely have a risk of living the rest of your life through the lens of your ego, worried about what people think about you based on what you have, what you do on and uh, what people think. So liberate yourselves from that. Realize that your value doesn't come from what you have, what they say, and what you do. And uh, get them to, to help them with their social-emotional leadership. You get what I mean? Hmm. Definitely. Yeah.
1: Even Superman has the Fortress of Solitude. When he needs to go get some
2: RNR. what do you do? Man, for me, uh, I like to read, man. Hmm. I love to read, I love to read daily. It's my thing, read, work out, take care of my spirit, take walks. And uh, that's my thing, fill my cup. Because if I'm constantly filling other people's cup, I need to fill mine. Mm -hmm. Listen to stuff that empowers me, I seek empowerment. So like you have two types of people, you have people that seek empowerment and you have people that seek entertainment. People that seek entertainment entertainment. You enter into something that keeps you bound and it keeps you in a state of mind that you're just entertained. I don't want to be entertained. I want to be empowered. Entertained at the same time. You get what I mean?
0: Because
2: mm-hmm. people that seek empowerment seek empowerment so they can confront life, so they can change things. A lot of people that seek entertainment look for a way to escape from their reality. You know? Mm-hmm. They don't want to deal with reality that they can change, that they that, that, that they can do something about. So let me just watch this movie and forget. Escape.
1: Yeah. That's the that's the problem. Is I called it um facing the demons in the basement.
2: You're every deep, day. Bro. You got these lines, man.
1: Ah, thank you. sometimes I come up with this words and lines together. Mm-hmm. But I was just like I was talking to a friend recently, she's going through a lot. And I said, yo, I know anxiety sucks, I know depression sucks, but if you don't face that demon in the basement, it's just going to get stronger and stronger. Mm-hmm. You just have to every day cuz it'll never change. The demon will always be there. It's never going to go away. Cuz the demon is part of you. But the best way to beat it is you go downstairs, stare it in the eyes and say, "Not today, motherfucker."
2: there you go and keep it moving and a lot of the times uh, that monster under your bed is you,
0: mm-hmm. you,
1: know, you know
2: I mean? so you gotta face yourself
1: which is a lot of people unfortunately doesn't wanna do mm-hmm. you know, that's why I love what you're saying like self-reflecting like you know have go for long walks empty your mind a lot of people doesn't wanna do that they just wanna listen to music when they're driving or I don't know, uh, watching TV instead of just sitting down and just be with your thoughts. Exactly. Because that's how it's going to come out. Like whatever you're going through, that's what's going to come out. It's going it, to, that voice is going to speak. And a lot of people doesn't want to hear that voice.
2: That's it. And the more you let that voice speak, the more you're able to break patterns, break behaviors, and become the best self. hmm
1: Definitely. I see that you're big in mental health.
2: Oh, for sure. Mm. And mental health for me is simple. It starts off with gratitude. Mm. It starts off with gratitude. You can't be happy in life if you're not grateful. And no matter how bad things are, there's, some, there's always someone that has it worse than you. Mm-hmm. When you count your blessings, it's easy for you to, to have that positive energy and to, you know what I mean, get the, the most out of life.
1: I completely agree. I remember the moment that I learned gratitude. Uh, that was the time when my wife and I bought a house. And coming from the Philippines, I was poor. We're talking about like dirt poor, right? Mm-hmm. There were like times that we didn't even eat that poor. Mm-hmm. And now I moved to Canada and we I own a house, a beautiful house. And I always... Uh, what I used to do, I, 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 it sounds silly, but before I go to bed, I look, I look outside of my house, look at the houses, the beautiful houses, and I said to myself, "Man, I live here.
0: Hmm.
1: I own this house, this beautiful house, a house that could live probably three families." Which <laughs> growing up, my house was like it wasn't even a house, like a like a room, like a tiny, tiny, tiny room, like you can touch both walls, kind of deal. Hmm. And it just it opens me up. It makes me feel happy.
2: It humbles you.
1: Yeah, but sometimes I forget, though. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes
2: we will forget. For sure. For sure, we forget. We're, we're we're creatures. We're creatures, right? We're creatures of habit. So it makes sense to forget. We just got to make the habit of remembering. What do you do to remember? Me, man, um, I just go back. I just compare. I look at my life right now and I think back then. I think back then, I, I when I see people, I try to remind myself not to look at people and be like, oh, I'm here, you're here. Just remember, just humble yourself because like, it's like a, I was reading some of the stuff I wrote a long time ago today. And um, one of the things that I wrote about was about elevation. When God elevates you and God puts you on a mountain, it's not for other people to see you, it's for for you to be able to see other people that need to be served. You know what I mean? And um, that's how I see it. That's what humbles me, thinking about where God pulled me from, where I find myself. You know, like the struggles that I've had when it comes to finances and how money is just coming to me right now. You know what I mean? I I think about, just the way that I'm blessed, able to see some of the world. Some people have never left the continent. You know what I mean? Being being able to go to different continents, right? All of those things are blessings.
1: Amen. I love what you say about money. That you know, I remember that time with me too. That I was so worried about money, like I just like obsessed with the numbers. You know, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and then one day I realized the number doesn't give me happiness. Mm-hmm. Goes up and down. It doesn't matter. Like going back to what you said about social media, about the likes and sharing and whatnot. It doesn't matter. It's, it, the number doesn't matter. The, number, the matter is what you do. Mm-hmm. So do you have a timeline with the broken, broken Clients book?
2: This year, man, I need to release that book this year. That's
1: all I saw for now. That's all i can say for now. I need to release it this year. Come on, tick 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 man. We are, no. st- But you know what? I'm going to give you I still have time to buy your first book. So but I when I finish that first book, you better have the other book ready, you know what I mean? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, we'll try my I try my best.
1: Of course, that's what it is. Like I I I used to coach basketball like little kids like 13, 14 years old and I always say focus on the effort not on the result Hmm. because the result will either make you happy or make you sad or disappoint you but if you put 100 percent effort that's always going to be you're going to be happy always at the end
2: because you know you gave your all
1: yeah of course these are kids it's hard to teach them right
2: Mm -hmm. do you mentor kids too Yeah, I mentor kids with the West Island Black Community Association, and I do it personally, too, Mm. with different youth around the city, different capacities. Mm -hmm. Were there moments that
1: you see a kid and like, man, I don't know if this kid's going to make it?
2: All the time. All the time, and sometimes I just try to implicate myself they're willing to listen. Sometimes Mm. I talk to them and... I don't, hear for, I don't hear for them, you know, in a couple of years. And then they message me on my inbox and they're like, sir, man, I changed my life around. Beautiful.
1: You know? How mm-hmm. that feel? It's
2: rewarding.
0: Mm.
2: Rewarding, you know, it's very rewarding. And uh, my goal is to just impact as much as possible.
1: Just one kid, you know? hmm That's good enough. That's what I told my kids too when I, I used to call you. I said, you don't have to remember my name. You just have to remember whatever I teach you.
0: hmm
1: You know, like I try to teach them uh, warm-ups and uh, stretching. Mm-hmm. And they see the other kids, like, how come they're not stretching? I said, well, because I don't know why, but this is important. Someday when you get older and you're doing stretching, saving your body or your knees or whatever, you'll remember, like, oh, man, thank God that guy, whoever that guy is, told me to stretch. Mm-hmm. You know. We're getting there, but one more question if you don't mind.
2: Oh, for sure, for sure.
1: There's more work to be done. What would make Sven finally sit back and say, My work here is done?
2: Man, I'd say um I'd say two things. I'd say not even two things. I I, I think that my I would say my work is done when I have my own center. So if someone commits a crime like in juvenile detention or whatever, um, they would be referred to this program and we'd be able to house uh, young black youth immigrants, what they call BIPOC you know, youth that are just caught up in the system. I feel like my work is done when we'd have our own school for our community. I feel like my work is done when Um, I'd be able to empower other people with similar stories like myself, so they could replace me and, you know, help them like amplify their messages. I feel like my work is done when I'd help other people publish books, help them get their stories out there. And, um, with all of those things in place, I would just sit back and write. I would do less and just write.
0: Hmm.
1: That's beautiful. Again, Sven, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate
2: it. Oh, no, it's my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. And uh, I was really touched by a lot of the things that you said, man. You're very deep.
1: Ah, uh, I try. Thank you. I
2: appreciate that. Much love.
1: Have a good day.
2: You too, man. Have a blessed one.
1: You too, sir. Bye. Thank you again, Sven, for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life, I will see you guys later.